The Leadership File on Premier. This is The Leadership File, bringing you conversations with leaders and experts on leadership themes. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you're listening live or via the podcast, it's great to have you along. This week, I'm joined by the author of a new book, Understanding Christian Leadership, published by SCM, a book I think is destined to be a classic text, including in the reading list of those training for leadership roles in the local church and elsewhere. The author is Ian Parkinson, and he was on the show uh, looking at succession uh, some years ago. Ian is an Anglican minister who's served in Hull, Middlesbrough, uh, and then as an incumbent of the Emmanuel Church uh, Saltburn, York, and All Saints Marple near Manchester. He was the first New Wine Regional Director for the North of England and lectures in leadership development working as a church pastoral aid society, CPAS, as a leadership development specialist working in theological education. His book addresses a question that has risen at various times over the 15 years of this show. What is leadership? And specifically, what is Christian leadership? And if that sounds a bit theoretical, then don't worry, we plan to make it practical too. We'll focus on this area this week and plan to look at part two in a future episode. So welcome back into the Leadership File. Thank you, Andy. Good to be with you. Uh, so congratulations on the book. Uh, it includes lots of research of a wide range of literature pertaining to leadership. So what was your focus as you began the book and did this change as you got into the background reading? Yeah, I mean, the impetus for writing the book in the first place was, as you uh, said, I teach uh, leadership modules in a variety of different uh, training institutions and um, putting together module outlines, reading lists year by year. One of the challenges I came across was I couldn't find a one volume book on Christian leadership, which was um, sufficiently academic, shall we say, and uh, theologically rigorous enough, and which covered the bases that you would cover in a module. Uh, I couldn't find a single volume to, to set as a core text, and uh, some great stuff out there, but not one book that brought it all together. So I thought, well, if there isn't one, I better write one. So the shape of the book was very much, um, I suppose, dictated by what I felt were some of the key bases of Christian leadership. I mean, it was written as I say, um, initially for those uh, training uh, on leadership modules. But I hope it, it's more than that. I mean, I, my concern as a leader and as a trainer of leaders is that leaders are reflective practitioners. Uh, that is that we know why uh, we do what we do. And so I wanted to produce a resource which, again, drew on good leadership theory and sound Christian biblical theology so that we produce not just slavish imitators of others, but people who were genuinely reflective practitioners. I mean, I suppose one of the, the, yeah, as about the, the, the scope of the book, one of the, one of the challenges is, is, is what to leave out. There's so much to be said about uh, leadership. Uh, and uh, even having just, you know, completed the book within the last year, I'm already sort of regretting not having included certain other, other topics which are important. Great. Well, that's, a, that's a great help. Certainly my sense that this was you know, destined to be a text uh, is <laughs> was hopefully the instinct was, was correct. Um, yes. so, so, I mean, you, you outline how many, how many Christian leaders um, happily incorporate 
management and leadership techniques into their leadership. Uh, but also this kind of sense that some believe there's something countercultural about the Christian way, which makes wholesale mm. import of so-called secular approaches uh, suspect. So it'd be good maybe to reflect mm. on that, because I'm sure leaders listening uh, have had that perhaps that uh, sense of uh, should I should I be doing this or not? Yes, I mean, I think this is one of the key questions in the whole discussion. I think there are two equal but opposite errors that, um, in my experience, Christian leaders and Christians fall into. One is what you might call the uncritical adoption of secular leadership theory. You know, it works somewhere else, so it must work here. On the other hand, there's what you might call the wholesale rejection of anything that we can't find in the Bible or the Christian tradition. Uh, one of the important things is that leadership is always a contextual thing. One of the things I think I'm more and more convinced about is that people emerge as leaders because they most explicitly uh, own the vision, the values, um, the culture, if you like, the aims, the objectives of the host organisation in which that leadership is located. And that automatically means, therefore, that because the aims and objectives of uh, God's kingdom are at odds with uh, other more secular aims, there will be a distinction between what you might call kingdom leadership and leadership, which is exercised in a purely uh, secular fashion. Um, so there will always be uh, an element in which Christian leadership is distinctive. However, there is, it seems to be a huge area of overlap. Leadership is always concerned about people. Uh, about bringing the best out of people, or, or it ought to be. Um, and therefore, if as Christians, we don't take seriously good wisdom from other sources about how to enable people to be the best they can be, uh, then we will uh, let them down. I was reading in another book this morning, um, a Christian writer saying, um, you know, uh, the church shouldn't be run like a business but nor should it be run like a bad business, uh, making the point that actually turning our backs uh, wholesale on secular leadership thinking doesn't uh, exempt us from falling into some of the mistakes that people make. And, I, you know, when I sort of try and coach some church leaders, I that they have some implicit assumptions that they've taken, certainly not from scripture, but from other places which maybe don't serve them well. So again, what I want them to do is to certainly critique leadership in the light of biblical truth, uh, but not to neglect just sound common sense uh, wisdom. So um, would the analogy be a little bit like um, we believe in Christ, you know, the, that God heals today, but it doesn't mean we don't use medical expertise when we're ill. Yes, I, I, so what we would, and I think what we'd want to say is that perhaps um, God is himself the author of the wisdom that leads to medical science. Now, we know that that can be used uh, wrongly, and it can be used in such a way that excludes God. But we, as believing people, um, don't want to drive too hard a wedge between the sacred and the secular. We recognize that all valid truth is God's truth, that all wisdom is God's wisdom. And the same holds fast. It holds true, it seems to me, in the world of, of leadership. I love the, the phrase you used, that if an organization's panicking, the rewards mm. of incorporating secular managerial techniques is tantalizing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and there is a sense in which, that, you know, even even sometimes secular stroke uh, 
management techniques won't necessarily do the job if there's other issues um, that really need addressing. No, that's certainly the case, Andy. Um, I mean, by the same token, we probably are all aware of um, Christian leaders who, if they don't uncritically embrace um, secular leadership techniques as a panic measure, just try and copy what the church down the road has done. Now, that's also illegitimate. If leadership is truly contextual and is shaped... Um, and I say in the book that you know it's shaped by the context, i.e., the aims, objectives of the church or organisation, but it's also shaped by the situation, i.e., what is the state, the, the life stage of this particular church or business. I mean, leadership will look different according to the situation. So, leadership, for example, in a church planting or startup phase, or when we're trying to rescue a church or business from a crisis will look very different from leadership where things are more established, more people are developed, where, you know, a more mature stage of uh, uh, of development for the, for the church or organisation. So uh, what I've, again, one of the broad aims of the book is to give people some tools, some wisdom, both theological and practical, whereby they are able to take that and hopefully improvise appropriately for their own situation and context. And again, knowing why this is the right path to take in this situation, as opposed to saying, well, it worked for them, therefore it must work for us. And I guess that comes on to the brings us on to the, the topic of which we, you know, we've used the word leadership a few times, hmm. uh, but we haven't defined it yet. And hmm. um, I guess that sense of context may feed into whatever definition we come up with but presumably you have a kind of a work, workable definition that you use yes i mean there's a whole chapter on defining leadership which starts by addressing something of the difficulty of defining leadership because i mean um although i have added to the welter of stuff out there i discovered in uh, writing the book that if you put the word leadership into google you get over six billion hits so and and clearly the leadership as it's defined and described in different places looks very very different from uh that, the way it's described in others however um i did think it was important to try and formulate a definition of, of christian leadership and, and so i i have come up with this definition i define or describe leadership as a relational process of social influence through which people are inspired, enabled and mobilised to act in positive new ways towards the achievement of shared goals. Um, and that needs a bit of unpacking. I suppose a lot of uh, leadership books automatically equate leadership solely with the figure of the leader. And I wanted to make the point that leadership wasn't just the action of a leader figure, but it was more of a process in which um, if you like, um, well, it was a relational process uh, that leadership it, it takes place when when people work together and when maybe the leader figure acts as a catalyst to bring the best out of others and to mobilise the contributions of others. Um, leadership is, I think, about enabling people to... Um, move forwards often in new ways uh, considering new possibilities so there is especially christian leadership i think there is very much a focus on um moving forward with god and helping people to do that um and i talked about the achievement of shared goals leadership isn't the imposition of my goals upon people uh, any leadership should um 
take seriously uh, the achievement of goals which matter more widely than simply to the leader figure. And of course, when we talk about Christian leadership, we talk about the accomplishment of God's goals, his kingdom goals. Um, one of the one of the points I, I'm at pains to make in the book is that one of the distinctives of Christian leadership is that, that, that it is contingent, if you like. It is a reflection of God's leadership, a sharing in his uh, stewardship over uh, his kingdom on earth. And um, therefore, Christian leaders are not called primarily to be original thinkers, but rather to um, think God's thoughts and to receive God's ideas. I mean, Jesus himself says, doesn't he, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's a great um, paradigm for Christian leaders. We want to track the movement of the Spirit, which as again I say in the book, is discerned corporately rather than just by some heroic solitary individual, and then enable the whole community to move forward uh, as the Spirit is prompting and moving us. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by the Reverend Ian Parkinson. He has written a book on understanding leadership, uh, understanding Christian leadership indeed. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by the Reverend Ian Parkinson. He's the author of a new book, Understanding Christian Leadership, published by SCM. Uh, we have talking before the break of uh, how we define uh, Christian leadership, the importance of context for leadership in general, but also that sense that that leadership should be shared, that uh, it's about what God is doing, that we're seeking to uh, to join with God in what he's doing in his world and uh, and be a, a blessing in, in the way that we lead. So lots to unpack, uh, Ian, in terms of some of the detail of, uh, of of what you said in terms of your definition and that, and we probably sadly won't won't have mm. <laughs> the time in our second half to necessarily do that. But uh, you hinted, I think, at the, some of the misunderstandings that people have uh, regarding leadership. And I guess uh, I'm talking to you, you're working with the CPAS, um, mm. obviously there's an Anglican background. And I guess uh, for many people, the kind of vicar figure is the archetypal church leader within our society. Mm. And often uh, by by dint of the fact, perhaps that not everyone in a, in a congregation necessarily is, is focused on God in his ways, that that vicar is is stereotypically the person doing the leading and i just wonder if you can speak to that in the context of the kind of de definition of leadership that you've you've given us yeah so i mean every different christian tradition seems to me to have its its weaknesses um in this uh what might be called clericalism and over focus on the unique place of the authorized or ordained leader um is has emerged in different traditions for me it's the exact antithesis of what christian leadership is about because in the new testament leadership is always a, a plural uh, activity you're hard pressed to find uh, any exercise of leadership in new testament terms which is done in a solitary fashion i mean jesus uh raises up others, um, develops them over three years, and then releases them to, uh, as it were, take over from him in terms of uh, stewarding the fledgling Christian community. The Apostle Paul never acts on his own. It always takes people with him, uh, always acts collaboratively. When uh, church governance is set up, 
Um, there's, um, it's always plural. There's, there's no sense in which uh, leadership is going to be a solitary activity. And frankly, we have to recapture this um, uh, in the life of the church today. Um, if we if we fail to do that, then um, we are impoverished because we miss out on what God longs to do through the multiplicity of giftings that he's given the church, which often lie dormant. But also it seems to me we condemn ourselves to uh, to be limited in terms of the scale of what we're able to do, the scope of what we can do. Um, it's been suggested that, um, you know, the average pastor can um, by and large sustain relationships with between about 100 and 120 people. And that's why churches very rarely br break out of the sort of the glass ceiling of, a, of 100 members or 100 active people. They might gain new people, but they lose others through the back door. Well, of course, if we actually have a, um, uh, a more New Testament approach to, to leadership, whereby we recognise that we need to uh, galvanise the contributions of the many rather than the, the solitary individual, then we automatically uh, increase the scope of what can be done. Um, certainly in my own experience as a church leader, most of the best ideas we have, certainly in the second half of my time in my last church, were not mine, but because we'd worked hard to develop um, fairly um, dispersed leadership at every level throughout the church, um, all kinds of things began to bubble up as people were released in the power of the Spirit to dream dreams with God, to uh, exercise influence in different spheres. And that seems to me to be exactly what God has in mind for the church. And, you know, when the Apostle Paul talks about the Spirit being given uh, to every single one, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, uh, that is not simply a first century uh, optional extra. That seems to me to be definitive. And therefore, we have to take seriously in our leadership structures. How can we put, you know, uh, work to um, recreate this? And going back to your original point about the, the, the sort of the vicar figure, uh, the fact of the matter is that if, you know, it, it's up to those who are given particular responsibility to actually be gatekeepers for the for the gifts and ministries of of others, um, there's a huge responsibility therefore on clergy or other leaders not to do things for others, but to enable others to fulfil the potential that God has for them. Now, thank you for for clarifying that so so helpfully. You suggest in the book that a lot of leaders don't reflect on what they do. And mm. uh, indeed, one of the purposes of your book is that indeed people will start to reflect. And obviously students, particularly as they're going into leadership, start to reflect. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, within a denomination, certainly there are structures whereby people are supposed to be reflecting. There are, you know, within the Anglican system, there's uh, there are archdeacons and bishops and you know, again, I don't, I don't know enough about how that all operates. But are you, are you saying that actually... The relational structures don't work towards the kind of reflection that you think is wise for for someone in Christian leadership. Yes, I mean my experience is that um, the structures don't encourage reflection. I mean things are changing, um, but um, I think that churches, by and large, or denominations, shall we say, tend to be fairly organisational. Um, they're stretched uh, in terms of uh, resources. Um, 
the and so the, the historically there's not always been um the encouragement shall we say or the the motivation to reflect particularly on, on leadership um i think therefore it is incumbent upon uh, those who are leaders to make sure that they are reflecting and, and my experience is that's best done with others so again we come back to the fact that uh, if we're able to um draw together around us as senior leaders a leadership team um, or leadership which is dispersed uh, at different levels in the life of the church if we just have the intention of sharing responsibility with others and certainly i mean in my role uh, in, in my uh, involvement in the new wine network um, you may or may not know that uh, one of the ways that New Wine in recent years has operated is to draw together network groups in local areas of the local church leaders. So I'm here in Sheffield. I, I'm part of a, um, uh, the network and we have three different core groups of church leaders in our little area. So half a dozen, eight of us will meet each month to reflect together on our leadership and to pray for each other. And that's a really important place because we ask each other hard questions about, you know, uh, different aspects of our leadership. Um, and we encourage each other to, um, uh, to, to do well and to do better in those key areas. So actually finding an appropriate context where we can together um, be reflective practitioners seems to me to be fundamental to um, fruitful leadership and to prevent us from simply you know repeating the errors of the past or going down blind alleys and in when um kind of leaders reflect upon their own kind of leadership do you think that's that that could be something that you do with a coach or mentor or you, you've talked about you know fellow leaders as well have you got any experience of, of having someone completely outside the situation helping you reflect upon upon what you yeah. do yes there was a particular season i remember some years ago when i was wanting to uh, i felt that i'd taken um i got to the end of my own sort of ex expertise and experience and i asked a, a wise friend who i felt was further ahead than me uh to coach me for a couple of years in some key areas that was really helpful um Again, going back to um, my experience in the New Wine core group, that's very much sort of peer mentoring. Uh, it's iron sharpening iron. Um, I think, um, I mean, one of the ways in which I hope that understanding Christian leadership might be used, and in fact, ironically, I got an email just this week from a, a church leader friend who said, could you write me a series of study questions that I can use, get my church leadership team to read a chapter each month and then we can process it together. Well, that, you know, I hope that the book will be used like that. I hope that um, what people, uh, if people have a little bit of input, um, then a chapter, you know, a month, then, then process it together, work out, well, what does this mean? How does this impact the way I lead? Um, and a, a level of accountability, perhaps, in terms of let's, you know, ask each other next month for hard questions. So how are you appropriating that wisdom? How is it being worked out? What's changing? I think that, you know, that's a, um, a really um, helpful thing. One of, the, one of the things in the West is that we, we kind of think if we've read something or appropriated something with our mind, we've learned it. And biblical wisdom uh, is rather different. It's about, I mean, the, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way for a reason, 
because it's about walking in new ways. And um, I suppose what I'm keen to do is certainly to give people the information that they need, but not as an end in itself, but to enable them to walk, therefore, in new ways in leadership. Well, sadly, time has defeated us, Ian, but um, it's been fab- fabulous to, to chat with you. And as I say, I would urge people uh, to, or listeners to, with any leadership uh, in- engagement involvement to, to get this book. So it's Understanding Christian Leadership, published by uh, SCM, no doubt available in all good Christian bookshops and uh, online uh, places. Yep, yeah. Uh, the CPAS website has it, uh, uh, amongst other places. So, yeah. Well, Thanks, Andy. Well, thank you, Ian, and uh, thank you for joining us. We'll be continuing a conversation with Ian in a future uh, episode of the show, so do look out for that. Uh, do log on to Premier's own website and uh, you find archived versions of a leadership file, including this one in due course. I look forward to your uh, company next uh, Sunday at four or via podcast, however you uh, listen to this. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.